Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We are going to be moving back into the world. I want to talk about what that means for you and what that means for your life. We live in a capitalist society, and those who seize the day, those who work hard, those who do well, are going to be rewarded, and I want that to be you. And to do that, you need to be mentally healthy. What is your velocity of life? Hey, it's Dr. Phil, and you are listening to Fill in the Blanks, and we are in somewhere between the sixth and seventh week of quarantine, depending on what state you're in, at least in California, I think our 47th day of being in shelter at home, lockdown, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. I'm not really here to talk about that. I'm really here to talk about your life and the fact that whatever day or week you're in in your part of the country and i know there are some states that have not been sheltering in place at all for a variety of reasons most commonly that there are differences in density of population and frequency of cases and death etc but estimates are that about 90 percent of america has been in some form of quarantine, some form of lockdown. I think everyone would agree that six or seven weeks seems like a long, long time. And I think everyone would agree as we are listening to our government talk and listening to a lot of people reacting that we're coming to a point where this is going to change that people are going to start coming out of quarantine, either by government loosening up the guidelines or because people are saying, I just can't take this anymore, and they're going to start going out on their own. Now, I just want to tell you, for my two cents worth, as I've said before, Robin and I have been in quarantine. We have been following as much as I think is humanly possible. The CDC guidelines. We have been living in isolation. We've been following social distancing. We've been washing our hands and washing surfaces and staying as isolated as we possibly can because we think it's been the responsible thing to do. We have been really alone together, as has been said by so many people. We've certainly been by ourselves, but we've all been doing this as one as a society to help everybody. What I want to talk about is the fact that as this is coming to an end, as it appears that hopefully responsibly we are going to be moving back into the world, I want to talk about what that means for you and what that means for your life. You know, I said last week that when we're talking about are we getting back to normal, that maybe we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, are we going to get back to normal, I said that maybe the question we should be asking is, how do we move forward? Not are we going back to what we used to do, but how are we going to go forward to what we need to do? Because frankly, I don't think that what we took for granted What we did every day is going to be a big part of what we do, at least in the coming months. I look at it from my point of view. For the last 18 years, I've gone to the studio. I've had a packed audience every day, 250 people in the audience, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. 
engaging, talking among themselves, watching what was happening, being involved, engaged, participating. I'm not at all sure that that's what's going to happen in the fall. I think Dr. Phil, as you see it on your television screen, may look very different. I'm not sure that it'll be better. I'm not sure that it will be the same, but I think that if, as I talked about last week, we are adaptive, we are creative, we use our heads and do the things that we need to do, we will find a way to make it work. And while it seems like we've been in here for a long, long time, think about this. Wasn't it just a moment ago that we were doing the things that we've always done? Wasn't it just a moment ago that you were going to your kids' soccer games? Wasn't it just a moment ago that everyone got together for Thanksgiving and Christmas? Wasn't it just a moment ago that you were going to a ball game, professional baseball game, college basketball game, high school football game? Wasn't it just a moment ago that you saw people and you shook their hands or gave them a big hug? Wasn't it just a moment ago that life as we knew it was very, very different? And in a matter of just six or seven weeks, depending on where you live, the entire social pattern has changed. And I want us all not just to survive these days, but to come out of them with a new place to stand, with new tools, new wisdom, and a deeper understanding of how you got there. So that if it's something you were doing that was ineffective, now is a great time to change it. And if it's something that just seems to have come out of the blue, this is something that seems random to you, you can weather it and be stronger for it because you choose to find meaning and purpose out of it. You don't just do it mindlessly. You choose to find meaning and purpose out of it. Now, actually, 12 years ago, I wrote a book that was the most difficult book I have ever written. And that book was entitled Real Life, Preparing for the Seven Most Challenging Days of Your Life. I'm going to tell you what those seven days were, and I can tell you that it would now be an obsolete book because there would need to be an eighth day. The eighth day would be the day the world shut down. The eighth day would be the day that they told you you couldn't live your life anymore. The eighth day would be the day they told you you had to leave your job, your family, your friends, your life, and go home and lock the door and don't go outside because an invisible enemy was on the attack. It threatened your life. It threatened your loved ones. It threatened your parents. The seven most challenging days of your life would be one short of what would have to be included today because it would have to include that day that the government stepped up and said, we can't do this anymore. We can't live this way anymore. As a society, we can't be who we are and do what we do. I would have to include that day. Just a moment ago, that would not have been on my list. But now... Today, it would have to be on the list. And you may think, wow, this is going to be a tough podcast, but it really isn't. This is a podcast that is focused on hope and joy and strength and peace of mind because it has to do with life balance. It has to do with learning to deal with the ups and downs. 
it has to do with knowing that actually we've not been prepared for this. We go to school and they teach us how to read and write and add and subtract. They teach us about geometry. They teach us about science. But they don't really teach us to cope with life and what it throws at us. They just don't do that. And if you're 40 years old, you've lived 14,600 days. If you're 45, 16,004 and a quarter. If you're 50, you've lived 18,250 days. How many of those days jump out at you as something that really stands out? I mean, really, really stands out. And I'll bet you that this day that you got sent home, these six or seven weeks are going to be something that you never forget if you live to be 100 years old. And by the way, if you're 70 today, you have a 10% chance of making it to 98. So your days may be numbered. So that means we need to make the most out of every day we have left. I did a survey when I wrote this book back in 2008. It was not a typical survey because it was a web-based survey. And even then, the internet was not as prolific as it is today. But I did a survey and I asked people to rank stress in their life on zero to 100. And I gave them a lot of events to rank. And I'm going to tell you what that survey yielded and ask you how you would rank these things. But the number one stress event that sat on top of the list of 15 was foreclosure of mortgage or a loan. Now, think about that. Because what has happened now is the entire world economy has been shut down. The United States economy has been shut down. Your jobs have been put on hold. You may have them to go back to. You may not. You might be able to pay your rent. You may not. But in 2008, when I did this survey, the number one stress event that people ranked as putting the greatest demand, the greatest worry, the greatest anxiety in their life was financial. Were they going to be able to deal with the financial stress and demand? And it was foreclosure of a mortgage or a loan that they were going to go bankrupt. They were going to go broke. That was number one. And now that event is a common denominator among our adult population in America. The number one stress event in 2008 has now become a common denominator for practically everyone in our society. How astounding is that? That events have conspired to make the number one stress-ranked event common to almost everyone. What was number two? Death of a close family member. 69,000 people have died from COVID-19. Number one was bankruptcy. Number two was death of a family member. And those have been right at the top of this pandemic. What was number three? Major disease diagnosis. So what are we living with right now? Our biggest fear is that we're going to go broke, that somebody we love is going to catch this disease and die. Number three is that we're going to catch this disease and die. And those are the one, two, and three stressors that came up in that survey that I did. Number four was major disease diagnosis, not of ourselves, but of a family member. Number five was severe illness, living with a chronic state of illness. Six, death of a spouse. Seven, not just foreclosure, but complete financial ruin. Eight was change in financial state. Nine, traumatic legal problem. Ten, separation. So eight of the top ten stress events have virtually been mandated by this pandemic. 
that's how much stress has been brought on. And I have been beating the drum by saying, yes, we do need to protect ourselves. We do need to be in quarantine, but we need to recognize that it brings with it tremendous stress, tremendous pressure. And eight of the 10 events that were ranked by a ton of people when I did this survey, eight of the 10 events have been mandated by this pandemic and the resulting shelter in place, the resulting quarantine. Number 11, self-identity crisis. 12, change in mental health of a family member. 13, divorce. 14, severe injury. 15, death of a close friend. So you can see the pressure that has been brought to bear by all of this actually were the top stress events that were detailed in 2008. If that tells you why I have been so concerned about the fallout from quarantine, that's why I study these things. I know what they mean. As I say, you can see why I have been so concerned about this because I know that this quarantine has created a lot of stress based on what I have been studying for years and years and years. Now, let me be clear about a couple of terms here. We sometimes use stress in the wrong way. To get this right, we have to have a definition of stress and stressor. A stressor, S-T-R-E-S-S-O-R, is something that puts a demand on the organism. Think about two sawhorses and a two-by-four that's 10 feet long, and it's stretched between the two sawhorses. And you go in the middle, and you put a five-pound weight. What happens? The two-by-four starts to bow. You come and put another five-pound sandbag, and it bows some more. Well, what you're putting on the board are stressors. You're putting a demand on the board, and it's bowing under the pressure. And pretty soon, you add another five-pound sandbag, and you start to hear the board crack a little bit. Those are stress cracks. The stressor is the weight the cracks in the board is the stress. And when life piles up demands on you and your mind starts cracking, your body starts cracking, that's stress. When your body starts to break down, when your body starts to show wear and tear, that's the stress reaction that you get from the demands that life places on you. So when you have the death of a loved one, when you go bankrupt, when you lose your job, when you get a serious illness, those are stressors and your body shows the wear and tear and that wear and tear are the stress reaction that comes from the pressure, the demand, the stress that is put on you. And what I've just shown you is that eight of the top 10 stressors that were reported by my web survey are exactly what this quarantine, this COVID-19 pandemic is creating in your life. How much are the stress cracks in your life? Is it showing in your mental health? Is it showing in your physical health? Is it showing in your relationship with your significant other? Is it showing in the way you react to your children, in the way that you parent, in your patience, in your tolerance, in your lack thereof? Is your body breaking down? Is your mind breaking down? Is your cognitive efficiency breaking down? Are your coping strategies being overwhelmed? Now, I said if I was writing this book today, it wouldn't be seven days it would have to be eight days because it would have to include this day. And let me tell you what the seven days are that I wrote about in 2008. Number one, 
of the seven most challenging days in your life was the day that you suffer a loss and your heart is shattered. Second was the day that fear overwhelms you because you realize you have been a sellout, that you aren't doing what you want to do with your life. The third most challenging day in your life is when your adaptability breaks down and you realize you are in over your head and life is just overwhelming you. The fourth most challenging day is when you get the news that your body is breaking down. Disease has invaded you. Ulcers have shown up. Cancer has shown up. Something in your body is breaking down. The fifth day that's most challenging is when your mental health breaks down. Your mind begins to play tricks on you. Mental illness takes over. Neurosis, psychosis. You start to have breaks in your ability to cope. The sixth day is when addiction takes over for you or someone you love, whether it's the opioid crisis of today, the heroin crisis that was so prominent when I wrote the book in 2008, whatever the drugs are that addiction takes over. And the final day that I wrote about was the day you realize you are in an existential crisis. You have lost purpose in your life. You have lost direction in your life. And you cannot find an answer to the question, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? I'm just going to struggle and then die. Why am I doing this? The day the existential crisis overwhelms you and you cannot find purpose, you cannot find meaning to what you're doing. Those are the seven days that I wrote about in 2008. And as I have been following along in my social media tracking, in reading the messages that I'm getting on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere that I get messages, emails from people that follow me on the podcast, on Dr. Phil, on everywhere that I show up, Facebook, everywhere. I'm getting all seven of these questions asked of me, and they're all talking about those eight events that showed up in the top 10 when I did the survey. This is what people are talking about, and I fear that it is going to cause you to go back out into the world questioning yourself, wondering if you have what it takes. How did you ever get where you were to begin with? There's a great quote from Katherine Hepburn. She once said, life is hard. After all, it kills you. Nobody gets out of this alive. The question is, how do we make the journey? And I know that we're getting ready to open this country back up, and your life is not going to be in as good a shape as it was when we got locked down. When we got locked down, you probably had a job. When we got locked down, you probably had more confidence in your ability to cope than you do now. When we got locked down, you probably weren't in financial ruin. When we got locked down, your challenges, the hills you had to climb, the problems you had to manage probably weren't as many and varied as they are now. And as you go out there, you're going to need to have a toolkit. You're going to need to be ready to say, okay, I've got some challenges, but I'm not alone. And I need to face these, and I need to be a good role model for my children and for my family. Now, I've developed an audit that I'm going to put on the website. And it has to do with you assessing your stress level. And I want you to think about these things. I'm going to read them to you now, and I want you to think about them, but I want you to go to the website, and I want you to answer each one of these things and the choices you're going to have 
to each of the items is you're going to respond whether that statement describes you all of the time, most of the time, some of the time, or rarely. And I'm not going to read all of these to you. I'm just going to give you a sampling so you know the kind of things that I want you to do by self-assessment. For example, number one, how often do you feel that you are not coping well with the demands that are placed on you? How often do you feel that you're not coping well with the demands that are placed on you? Do you feel that way all the time? Most of the time? Some of the time? Or rarely? Do you find yourself withdrawing from friends, family, and colleagues? Are you feeling anxious all the time, most of the time, some of the time, or rarely? Are you jumpy and unable to relax? Are you having fights with people about everything and nothing? Do you find yourself feeling sad and down for no apparent reason? Are you aware that you're experiencing stress and it's affecting your life negatively? Do you blame others for everything? I read you five or six of these. There are 20 that I want you to go through. And then I want you to score this. And I'm going to have the scoring available for you. So you can see exactly where you stand. How many bricks are on your board? And it's going to tell you where you stack up against a lot of people that have taken this simple stress audit. At least you'll know whether or not you're someone that is really on the far end of the stress continuum or if you're somebody that is handling it pretty well. And if you're someone that is really out there stress-wise, you're going to have to actively start embracing some stress-fighting strategies. And one of the most important things you're going to have to do is to forgive yourself. You're going to have to stop wasting time beating yourself up for past errors. Look, the past is over. The future hasn't happened yet. The only time is right now. You can't live looking over your shoulder. You've got to consciously manage your reactions. You've got to take care of your body. You have to exercise regularly. You've got to practice affirmations where you give yourself positive thoughts throughout the day. You've got to work on managing your body, getting healthy sleep. Ask yourself, how often do you laugh? When was the last time you breathed out of the bottom of your lungs? I mean, really, we're able to take a deep breath. Anxious people breathe out of the top of their lungs. <laughs> they just take deep, short breaths. People that are able to relax take long, deep breaths. <sighs> They're able to really take a deep breath. How about you? You've got to really take a look at that and see, how am I doing? Look, life is managed. It's not cured. How good of a manager are you? How good of a manager are you really? That's so important for you to think about. Because if you're not a real good manager, then you need to become a really good manager. And that means you've got to consciously resolve to do that. You know, one of the things I think is really important as you go back out after this quarantine and get into your life is something I call velocity of life. What is your velocity of life? Are you someone that is rather stagnant? I mean, are you one of those people that suffers from inertia? We all know the definition of inertia. It's the tendency for bodies at rest to remain at rest. And we know the definition of momentum is the tendency for bodies in motion to remain in motion. Velocity of life describes people that are in motion. They're not inert. They're not bogged down. You have to really ask yourself, what is your velocity of life? And if it's stagnant, you've got to really resolve that you're going to change that. You can't be paralyzed. And to do that, you have to understand your emotions. 
You know, there is an anatomy of an emotion. There are four basic parts. First, an event takes place and you perceive it in some sensory way. You use your sight, your hearing, your smelling, touching, maybe even tasting abilities. The same event can be perceived a thousand different ways by a thousand different people, which is why police investigators will tell you that multiple eyewitnesses to the same event seldom give consistent or accurate reports. They're all looking through different filters. So when an event takes place, you perceive it through your filters. That's the first part of the anatomy of an emotion is what kind of filter you look at it through. Second, you label it by using those filters to place meaning on the event. This could mean seeing an authority figure as threatening, maybe because you had an abusive father, or maybe, on the other hand, using pleasure points like a warm and fuzzy feeling that we get when we enjoy birthday cake or the smell of an ocean because you spent a blissful childhood. So when you see something that reminds you of father or authority, it's something positive because the authority figures in your life protected you. So. You label things based on your filters, and you need to ask yourself, what are those filters? Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And third, you have an emotional reaction that's based on what you say to yourself about the event. What's your internal dialogue? If you see the world as a hurtful place, you're going to respond in a fearful way. If you see the world and you label it in your internal dialogue as a fruitful place of opportunity, you're going to see it as, wow, put me in, coach. I want to get out there. But that's going to be based on how you label what you see. And then fourth, you respond behaviorally in a way that flows from the emotions that you have chosen by that internal dialogue. If you label it as fearful, you're going to withdraw. If you label it as opportunity, you're going to race towards it. And we're getting ready to go back out into the world. What is the anatomy of your emotion about the world? Are you going to see this as a scary place? Like, oh my God, they're sending us back out there, but all I'm going to do is get infected and die. Or are you going to say this as, look, I've been very responsible. I quarantined. I learned good habits of maintaining physical hygiene and mental hygiene. And I'm ready to responsibly, step by step, go back out into life and create and seize opportunities. If you're that person, you're going to just really recognize opportunities. Seize the day. Carpe diem. If you see it as, oh my God, they're pushing me out the door into a Petri dish and I'm going to get horribly sick and maybe die then you're going to be anxiety-ridden, and you're going to be inert. You're going to be scared. You're going to be afraid. I don't want you to be reckless. I don't want you to run headlong out there and start kissing everybody on the lips. I want you to move responsibly, use what you've learned, protect yourself in a reasonable way, 
but looking for opportunities. Trust yourself to practice good mental hygiene. Protect yourself with good physical hygiene. Observe social distancing. Continue good hand washing, surface cleaning, all the things that are necessary to minimize your risk and maximize your opportunities. But that's going to be a function of the anatomy of the emotions that you take when you go back out into this world. Don't let this eighth day be one of paralysis, one where you get stress cracks mentally or physically. Don't let this be the day that your body breaks down, that your mind breaks down. Don't let this be the day that you fear that you've been sold out and just thrown back into the water with the sharks. Don't feel that your adaptability has broken down because when I look at the seven days that I wrote about in 2008, I feel like they're almost all happening at one time as we reenter this life. Even the existential crisis, if you're saying, what's the point? I'm just going to get sick. Well, you've been sick before. And you handled it before. You got well and you moved on. 85% of the people that contract this disease have mild, moderate, or no symptoms. And they get back to their life. Now, if you're advanced in age or you have some underlying condition, then you may need to remain sheltering in place. You may need to remain in quarantine. But a very small percentage of younger people, according to the infectious disease experts, according to the microbiologists that have been talking to me, and I've had 15, 18 of these experts on in 27 different broadcasts, I've been talking to them and they've been telling me straight up that the vast majority of the people that are exposed to this and contracted are going to have mild to moderate symptoms. Now, if you're at high risk, you need to take different steps. I totally acknowledge that. And don't take my word for it. Go to the Dr. Phil website and look at what Dr. Nagy says. Look at what Dr. Glanville says. Look at what these experts that I've had on are telling me so I can tell you. I am not an immunologist. I'm not an expert in infectious diseases. I'm not a microbiologist. I deal with the behavioral, emotional, psychological aspects of this. And I'm trying to be a coach for you here. I'm trying to answer your questions here. And the things I'm talking about are based on the questions I've been getting on a regular basis. I don't want when we are released back into the wild to be reckless. I want us to follow the CDC guidelines. I want us to continue social distancing. I want us to continue taking the steps to be hygienic. I want us to be responsible, but I want you to seize opportunities. Let other people stand there with their hands in their pocket, paralyzed because they didn't prepare. You seize the day. You take the edge. You take the initiative. You lead your family. I am the incurable optimist, and I believe that this can be done. And look, I don't care how much people want this to become a welfare state. We live in a meritocracy. We live in a capitalist society, and those who seize the day, those who work hard, those who do well, are going to be rewarded, and I want that to be you. And to do that, you need to be mentally healthy. Don't be in denial. Don't be reckless. Be realistic and do the things that you need to do to create the results that you want to create. When you choose the behavior, you choose the consequences. You choose to be reckless. You will choose to get sick. You choose to be careful and action-oriented. You will choose to get good results. And that's what I want you to do. This is about creating your own results. We're not victims here. We have the opportunity to do what we need to do. And think about your children. If this is intimidating to you, how intimidating has it been for your children? Think about that. 
they're not understanding everything you understand. All they knew is one day they were going to school and then they were told they couldn't. They were going to soccer practice and baseball practice and having sleepovers. And then all of a sudden they were told, oh no, you can't do that because it's too dangerous. How are they filling in the blanks? No pun intended. How are they filling in the blanks? If you're not sitting down with them and talking to them about what this really means for them, what the level of danger is for them, how are they filling in the gaps? And if they're hearing on television, if they're reading on the Internet that this is more dangerous for old people, trust me, even if you're 35 or 40, to your second grader, you're old people. They don't make a big distinction between 35 and 60. You're old people if you're 35. Sorry to tell you, Mom. Sorry to tell you, Dad. But 35 is old people to them. They don't make quantitative distinctions. You need to make that for them and let them know that they need not worry if they're careful and they know that you're being careful. We need optimism right now. We need leadership in the positive direction right now. And the best way we can do that is by following the science and being careful but affirmatively active and moving back into our lives. One of the things that causes people to have the most fear and anxiety is when they feel helpless. And it's so important as you talk to your children that they don't just walk around waiting for lightning to strike and feeling helpless, like there's nothing they can do to impact the outcome. That's just simply not true. They need to understand how powerful what we have done has been. They need to be given great kudos for the sacrifices they have made. They have continued their schooling, but done it from home. They have sacrificed time with their friends. They have sacrificed their athletics. They have sacrificed choir. They've sacrificed dance, soccer, everything. They need to be told how proud parents are of how well they've handled that. They've lived cooped up with the family, and they need to be told how proud mom and dad are of how well they've handled that, how good they've been, what big boys and big girls they are, how well they've done with all of that, and how proud you are of them, and that when it's time to go back out there, that there's a plan that we're not going to just go back to what we were doing to begin with, that we're going to ease back into this, and that the adults, the scientists, are working on things that are going to allow us to get back to a lot of the things that we used to do. But in the meantime, we're going to do some partial things, some, some partial steps. We're going to be able to go back out there, and we're going to be able to see some friends, but we're going to have to do it in a different way. Like, for example, they're going to be able to have a friend over and throw the football around in the backyard. They're going to be able to have some girlfriends over and have a sleepover and spend the night, but they're going to do it in a way where they're not on top of each other and in each other's faces. They're going to, they're going to play some games and do some things, but respect some boundaries and have some different measures of hygiene. It's not an all-or-none situation, but they've got to know how proud mom and dad are of how well they have adapted to this. They need to be telling their teachers, wow, my mom and dad told me how proud they are of how well I've done this. That's so important for their self-image. It's so important for what they say to themselves about this. And they need to know that they're not helpless, that they have created their own results here. And mom and dad, you need to model for them. If you've allowed them to stay in their pajamas all day, that needs to stop right now because we're very close to getting back out there in the world. And you need to not be in your pajamas all day. You need to not be where you haven't combed or brushed your hair in two weeks. 
You need to get up every morning, take a shower, groom yourself, put on your makeup, brush your hair, fix your clothes, get dressed as though you were going out every day. You need to set a schedule and keep that schedule. You need to get them back to that routine. Same thing. They don't need to be doing their schoolwork, their homeschooling on that computer in their pajamas with no shoes on. They need to get up every morning, take a shower, brush their teeth, have their breakfast, get dressed, and be in front of that computer just like they were getting out of that car and walking into school. They need to begin to mimic normal life just the way they were doing before this happened. Because when the gates open and they do go back out there, you want that transition to be as gentle a change as it possibly can. You don't want them to go from zero to 60 in one day. If they haven't had shoes on, if they haven't had their clothes on, if they've just been hanging out in sweatpants and a t-shirt and they haven't really gotten dressed and gone out the way they go out in six or seven weeks, that's not a good transition. Transition is important. Think about it. When they go to bed at night, Do you have them running around the house and playing tag and chasing each other right up until the second they go to bed? No. You have them calm down an hour before. You have them take their bath. You have them get in bed and read a story. You taper them down through the day so they drift off to sleep. You transition them. Do the same thing when they're getting back out into life. Don't go from sitting around on the couch without getting dressed to going back out there at full speed. What you want them to do is get used to that now. And you do the same thing. Model that. Start getting up, taking your shower, getting dressed, getting ready, setting up a schedule, being as busy and productive as you possibly can be, even though you're still in quarantine. Model that for them. And the same thing is true with you in velocity of life. You don't want to go from zero to 60. You want to go from 40 to 60. I realize it's different that you're stuck at home. I realize it's different that you can't go to the office, that you can't call on clients or customers. 37% of society can work from home. Okay, the rest can't. So a lot of people are stuck at home and can't work from home. So it is difficult, but you have to start being industrious. And I'm sure you have been. I'm sure you've cleaned every closet. You've cleaned the garage. You've cleaned the gutters on the house. You've done everything you possibly can. But it's time to start mimicking your patterns when you get out there so the transition is as painless as possible. I'm among the 37% that has found a way to work from home. I'm doing this podcast from home. Robin has become my one-man crew. She does hair, makeup, and yes, I have to have somebody do my hair. She's done hair, makeup, wardrobe, cameras, lighting, everything. And she's loved it. And I've loved having her do it. We've had a lot of fun back here. And I've got the greatest crew in television working from all over the city. And we're doing Zoom sessions where they've arranged for guests and set up all the technical ends of this stuff. And we've gotten better at it every day to the point that it's kind of become second nature now. And I had seven hours of meetings and and interviews and camera and podcast and different things today. I was busier today than I would have been at the studio. And I'm okay with that because when they turn the world back on and I can go out the front door, I feel like I'm going to be able to take a break. But I've kept myself busy and I feel productive and it feels good to do that. I'm glad I haven't been a slug sitting around wearing out a lazy boy. Probably need to do that for a few days. You know, it's all about balance. But do that for yourself and understand I am the incurable optimist. I know we're going to bounce back from this. And it's not going to be an accident. It's because you and I are going to make it happen. I know that's true. And I've talked to the scientists. I know they're working on mass-producing antibodies. I know they're working on vaccines. I know they're going to get a grip on this before the second wave. I know this is going to turn around and we're going to get a formula in our lives that we can move forward in a productive way. 
I'm confident in that because I'm confident in you. You guys that listen to me, you guys that watch, I may not know you all personally, but I feel like I do. It's interesting. I was reading a study the other day, and it said that 90% of the people that watch daytime television don't watch Dr. Phil. And 90% of the people that watch Dr. Phil don't watch anything else in daytime. I have a very unique audience. They're smarter than other people that watch daytime television. They're more productive. They're more successful. They make more money. They're more intelligent. They're more devoted and dedicated. I know my audience. I know who you are. I know how seriously you take your life. I know how seriously you take your family. There are a lot of shows shot here in Hollywood, and there are some great ones. I I did the talk today. I love the ladies at the talk. They are so sincere and so heartfelt and hilarious. I mean, these ladies are so much fun. I have a great time with them. I, I love doing their show. We just yuck it up and have the best time and talk about things that are meaningful. And I know my audience. We're booked months in advance by people that are dedicated to what we do. They're loyal to what we do. They believe in it. We talk about things that matter to people who care. And I know that's who's listening to me right now. And I care about you, and I know you care about your lives. And I know we're going to turn this around. Let's stay connected, and let's move forward, and let's think about our kids. Let's make sure they have the confidence they need and that we role model what they need to see, what they need to hear, to have the confidence to know that you're leading them out. You're leading them back out into the world. And we're so fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. We're in America, and this truly is a land of opportunity. And I don't mean to sound corny or like I'm leading a parade, but I believe in this country. And I believe we're going to turn this around and we're going to do well. And I am going to talk to you next week. And we're going to be closer to getting out there. And I'm going to talk about more strategies on how to seize the day. Let's make this work. We've made a lot of sacrifices over the last six or seven weeks. And now it's time to start making it pay off. I'm Dr. Phil. You're listening to Fill in the Blanks. I'll see you next week.